In this lecture, we're going to discuss some tips that may be helpful for the technologist when performing virtual colonoscopy. First of all, what kind of equipment do you need? Well, you really need MDCT. You should probably have a 16 or better. You can do a reasonable job with a 16 slice scanner, but 64 is better. Some argue that virtual colonoscopy can be done reasonably well with a four slice scanner, but I have to say that's pretty limited. I think you at least need a 16 or better. It's unclear if there's any added value beyond 64 slice. And again, make sure you have updated your scanner protocols. You want a low-dose technique. You want your MAS, your effective MAS, to be at least 50 or less. Also, you want to set up protocols that work for you. You want a low-dose technique. You want to aim, depending on your scanner, for about a 1 millimeter slice thickness, reconstructed about every 0.8 millimeters. So that was similar to the Akron protocol, something similar to that. So you want thin slices with a little bit of overlap for your reconstruction. And then you want to reconstruct the second time slices in the 3 to 5 millimeter range to look for the extracolonic structures. It's because the radiologists are going to use the thin slices to do the virtual colonoscopy, and then you're going to use the thicker slices to look at all the other structures. You don't want thin slices when you're looking at the extracolonic structures because they're too grainy, especially on a low-dose study. And you want to scan the patient supine and prone if they can tolerate it. Some patients, especially elderly ones or very heavy patients, won't be comfortable in the prone position, so then you might want to put a decubitus instead. As I mentioned in my other lectures, electronic insufflation is useful, and if you you can buy the pump, it's definitely worth it. It makes things easier and safer, and the patients tolerate the air distension better. You're going to be using carbon dioxide then. So you need the pump, the carbon dioxide tank, and the tubing. And as we discussed in other lectures, it's really safer than using room air. The carbon dioxide is absorbed and exhaled, so the patient doesn't feel distended for as long of a period of time. And then if you can't and you have to use room air, that's fine. Make sure you're using a correct tube. You want a tube that you can blow up a balloon in order to keep the tube in and keep the air in. Okay. If you're using the pump, you want adequate training in how to use the pump. You want to order the CO2, have a spare canister because invariably somebody leaves the tank turned on and the next time you want to do one you won't have any CO2. So we always have two tanks. And then you need tubing. Each patient's going to use their own tubing which is disposable. Then you want to discuss with the radiologist who will be inserting and removing the tube and if the balloon will be inflated. So at some places the radiologist will be the one. They'll do a rectal exam, put the tube in and inflate the balloon. In other centers the technologist may be the one doing this. So you want to clarify this. This is what our pump looks like. So you can see there's a pump there and there's two canisters underneath which is the carbon dioxide and then there's disposable plastic tubing. The pump controls the pressure. So you set the pressure, it can go between 0 and 25 millimeters of mercury, and then the pump will automatically insufflate to that pressure, and that if the patient has spasm or if there's enough air in there already, then the pressure will go up and the pump will stop insufflating. So here's kind of a zoomed in look at the controls. We have the volume that you put in the patient to the left there, the gas supply when it's in the green, then it's full. Once we get into the red, even the first bar of the red, then we usually replace the tank. In the center, it gives you the pressure reading right now is zero. Uh, in the right upper corner, that's the on off button. Okay, in the right lower corner, that's the output. So that's where the tube goes. Okay, and then the volume resets in the left uh, lower portion of the pump and that's when at four, the pump we use at four liters, it will automatically turn off, so you can start it up again there. 
This is just another magnified view of what the pump looks like in the controls. On the right-hand part of this picture, you'll see how much is in there, the volume that goes in. So right now it says zero and the gas supply is completely full. So usually I'll put in maybe a liter and a half um, when the patient's in the left lateral decubitus position in the beginning before I flip them supine to start my images. And again, the tubing is a flexible tubing. It's a pretty small tube you can see there. And then there's a balloon on the end that you can insufflate. I think it takes 30 cc's. And a couple times I've had to put uh, 60 cc's in. So if some people have poor rectal tone or poor anal sphincter tone, the balloon might come out. So you want to insufflate it enough to keep it in. Okay, so what to do. So before the patient arrives, scheduling is important. You want to make sure your schedulers know that this is a special type of an exam that needs prep ahead of time. So they want to inform the patients what the prep is. At Hopkins, the scheduler then um, schedules the study and then informs our coordinator who then mails the patient the instructions and what they need to do the bowel cleansing and answers any questions. Then when the patients arrive, obviously you want to check that they've done the prep correctly. There's no point in doing the study if the colon's not clean. You want to discuss with them positioning, the tube, and the pump, and then you'll do your scan acquisition. After the study also, there's certain patient instructions. If you're using carbon dioxide, I usually tell them within about 20 minutes or so, they're going to feel back to normal. But if they have any pain or discomfort, then they need to call you back. And then you're going to be doing your scan reconstructions. Again, you're going to be doing your thin slices for the 3Ds, and then your thicker slices for the extra colonic structures. So let's go through each of these. So before the patient comes, we talk about scheduling. So it's usually best to schedule these in the morning and make sure that the scheduling person informs the patient that they need a colon prep and how they're going to get it. So as I mentioned, at Hopkins, we put everything together and we mail it to the patient. Other places, they'll have it set up at a local pharmacy where the patient can pick it up, or you might have the patient come in to pick it up from your facility. Okay, also make sure you give the patient a phone number that they can call if they have any questions. Before you do the study, have the patient go to the bathroom and empty anything that's left in the rectum because there's some usually some fluid there, so you want to get rid of that. And then they should remove their clothes from the waist down. During the study, positioning is important. We usually begin in the left lateral decubitus position for tube insertion. So we put the patient is, is uh, in this picture. Uh, of course, this is just a nurse who's doing the, being a model for me. But the patient, of course, would uh, not have any clothes on from the waist down. And then the right leg is a little bent. The knees are bent. You insert the tube. You start the pump. And then you turn the patient supine for the acquisition. Then we flip them prone for the second acquisition. And then at Hopkins, we do a third acquisition. So once we've done the supine and prone, we deflate the balloon, remove the tube, and do a limited acquisition with the patient back in the left lateral decubitus position. So that would be our standard. But some patients, if they can't lie prone, then we do our second acquisition in the left lateral decubitus. Or if we really want to see the right colon better, we might do the right lateral decubitus. Okay, some things during the examination related to the tubing. So you attach the tubing and the reservoir bag to the pump, test the balloon ahead of time. Occasionally I've had a problem with the balloon, so you want to test it ahead of time. Then most people would do a rectal exam, preferably a radiologist, then would insert the tube. Patients in the left lateral decubitus position, I always inflate the balloon about 30 cc's, and then I kind of pull on the tube to kind of make sure the balloon kind of plugs the rectum because you don't want air leaking around it. Okay, then you turn on the pump, open the CO2 valve, check that the the main remaining gas volume is adequate. You don't want to start this study if uh, you don't have enough gas to finish it. 
And as we mentioned, you're going to have the tube and the reservoir bag attached. And then you set the pressure. I usually set the pressure between 20 and 25 millimeters of mercury. And then as the study's going on, I'm keeping an eye on the volume of gas because the pump automatically shuts off at four liters, but you can turn it right back on. There isn't, you can't give a patient too much CO2. So some pitfalls that I've noticed, if there's fluid in the tube, especially when you put the tube in, if a bunch of fluid and stool comes out, then it's going to artificially elevate the pressure reading from the pump. So you want to drain, kind of milk it from the tube into the reservoir bag. Make sure the tube's not kinked, because again, that will give you an um, inadequate and high pressure measurement, and it will keep more air from going in. And make sure you have enough slack, because the tube's going to stay in the patient when they're fed into the scanner. So make sure you have enough slack. Check the pump and make sure you have enough CO2 again before you begin. And then if you're using room air, make sure the air is going into the patient. Now that sounds obvious, but I've had several types, depending on what tube you're using, like if you're using one on the barium enema bag, if you don't clamp the tube from the, the little tube from the tube to the bag, then you're putting the air and you think it's going into the patient, but it's actually going back into the barium enema bag. During the scan, make sure you know your virtual colonoscopy protocol, low dose, proper positioning. We image at expiration. So we have the patient take a deep breath in and blow it all the way out. That way the flexures are higher up and you get less compression at the flexures. Okay, then after the scan, I would have a radiologist check to make sure that you have adequately insufflated all segments of the colon. So for example, there might be a segment, let's say at one of the flexures that's not well distended on either of your acquisitions, so then you could do another one. So if you're finished and you think everything's adequate, you deflate the balloon, remove the tube, let the patient go to the bathroom, and then turn off the pump, you know, obviously close off the CO2 valve and dispose of the tubing. After the scan, you're going to do your reconstructions. So remember, we want to aim for a one millimeter slice every 0.8 millimeters for the virtual colonoscopy portion, and then thicker slices for the radiologist to look at the extracolonic findings. We use a soft tissue algorithm when we're reconstructing for the virtual colonoscopy. And then even if the patient's prone, make sure you invert the images so the radiologist is looking at it in the standard positioning. Follow-up is extremely important. You want to get follow-up from your radiologist and feedback regarding the quality of your studies and suggestions for improvement. So you want to make sure your radiologist comes back to you and say, hey, that was a great study. Or, you know, there's not enough air. Next time we need more air. So you really need the back and forth to do high-quality studies. So a successful virtual colonoscopy study is really highly dependent on the technologist. You need to know what you're doing and you need to pay attention and be able to problem solve. Adequate training is essential. You just can't go in and start doing these. It's helpful in the beginning if you have certain techs that are dedicated to doing these studies instead of whatever techs on that day. Make sure somebody's checking your studies and ensuring that you have adequate insufflation and giving you good feedback on your studies. Thank you.